Let's open our Bibles, please, the book of Exodus, the 25th chapter, and we just begin to give you a few things about the tabernacle. We've already studied this in previous lessons in detail, but in the 25th chapter we read last week and gave you these various materials for the tabernacle, and we, we begin reading with verse 1 again, I won't go into all the materials. I will say this, though, uh, after looking, when I got down to the onyx stones, I made a mistake. I was trying to explain to you how that the stones were set upon the shoulders and upon the breastplate. And I said there were six stones, but there's only two stones, one on either shoulder, but they have six names. And I think I said six stones in my last lesson. So if you'll disregard that, there were two onyx stones, and they had six names on each shoulder of the children of Israel. And on the breastplate, though, there were twelve stones. In three rows, three times four is twelve. But uh, I think I said six stones instead of six names, so if you'll uh, remember that there's only two stones, but it does have six names on on each one of these onyx stones that's on the shoulders. All right, let's look at this in chapter 25. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willing with his heart, ye shall take my offering. If you remember, I told you that uh, they gave their offerings <clears throat> and they gave them of a willing heart. And all of these offerings of these materials that we'll just about, we'll read about in just a moment and we've already pointed out of gold and silver and etc. Uh, that they gave willing heartedly. And in fact, they were so generous in their giving that in chapter 36 verse 5 it says this, and they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and too much. Have you ever noticed how generous that that would be? of the children of Israel. They gave and they gave so that they had to be restrained from giving. Now then, we want God's people to today to learn to be generous as well. And we're not saying that we should take that as, as a pattern of our giving, but certainly it should be an example of the, of the willingness of our hearts to give into God's service. And I believe that God's people do want to give to God's work and service. In fact, sometimes we, we give far too less and the Lord uh, will bless us. The more we give, the more He will bless. And it's uh, for the church, for the for the support of missionaries, for whatever the needs are that the Lord has before us, uh, and the privilege of us to give to that purpose. All right, back in twenty-five, verse three, it says, "And this is the offering which you shall take of them: gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins." dyed red and badger skins and shed them wood all for the light uh, spices for anointing oil and sweet incense onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them now notice the purpose was that God wanted a an earthly dwelling place of his presence among the children of Israel that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Now, you see, God was about to give Moses all these instructions and of all the materials 
and all the dimensions and all, everything to very every detail of how the tabernacle and all the furniture, all the things that you see on this little uh, drawing, and even more than that, but uh, it's not detailed enough as far as that goes. But you at least get an idea of what he was having them to make, and we'll touch on some of those things as we teach the individual uh, pieces of furniture uh, in our lesson just now. But see, everything was to be made after the pattern that God showed in the mount. After the pattern and of uh, instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. Uh, in chapter, in this same chapter, verse 40, it says, And look that thou make them after their pattern which was showed thee in the mount. You see that, verse 40? Of this same chapter? So that God is very specific to, to have Moses to obey everything in detail. You know, if that is the case, when God told Moses to make all these things just as he instructed, God told Noah to make the ark just as he instructed. And he gave minute details as far as that was concerned. Well, then God certainly is just as concerned about details as far as the New Testament church is concerned. And when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he wants us to, to pay very much attention to it. He says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age or the world. You know, i got a stack of stuff about as thick as my hand this week in a little manila envelope from Leveland. I think it's Leveland, Texas, or Littlefield. I believe it's Leveland. Some kind of a prayer house, it was called. And boy, they were really trying to straighten everybody out on the Trinity. They don't believe in the Trinity. They, didn't, they believe you baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ only. In other words, Jesus only. They believe you have to be baptized in order to be saved. And you know, all of these, this was just full of one paper after another. Various brochures and this and that and the other. And you know what I do when I find a, a stack of material that is off of the teaching of God's Word on one point. You may find some of it that's pretty pretty uh, sound. But when you find it off on one point, you should trash the whole business. And you know why I say that? Because Jesus said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So a person can have just a little bit of truth there, and you can say, oh, well, and you'll get swallowed up with that and say, yeah, this is good. They had some information about thanks about Christmas and in Easter and so on that was, was good information for us, historical and where it didn't come from and where it did come from and etc. And that was all right. But then they turn around and they, and they uh, fill all this stuff with, with false teachings. So uh, we need to be specific about what God's Word teaches. And if you find information from any source that comes to you and you say they're definitely wrong on this one point, if they were right on nine points and wrong on one point, uh, you would still have to search out the other nine because there's probably a little false teaching in that too, somewhere down the line, uh, when you study it closely. But that means you should get rid of it. And so I throwed it all in file 13. Amen. But I always tear it up before I throw it in that file because I don't want anyone else to get a hold of it. I don't want just loose papers in there because someone else might get a hold of it. 
I tear it half in two, sometimes in four pieces. But I don't like that stuff. I think we ought to stick to God's Word. Okay, back to this. Verse 10. Now, in verse 10, we're going to see the ark. And in verse uh, 23, you have the chapter. Verse 23, the table of showbread. And verse 31, the golden candlestick in this chapter. Those are the three things that you'll find in this chapter. Now, we'll read it and we'll try to comment on some of the things as we go along. Uh, Verse 10, And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Now here you have this word, shittim wood, or acacia wood, is actually another name for it, is the most durable kind of woods. And then you have in verse 11, overlaid with gold. The material to make this ark. Remember what the ark was? It was an oblong chest. An oblong chest. Just say two by four feet. That's not exactly it. But I could figure it out in inches. We won't go into that. But it was to be of wood and then overlaid with gold. And then the mercy seat, let's read on down. The lid for it is called the mercy seat. And it's made of pure gold. It's not made of wood. Of one lid of pure gold with a cherubim of gold overshadowing the mercy seat like my hands like this on each end of the mercy seat and looking inward and downward. A Sunday we preached on uh, the angels looking into the things that we of our salvation, remember? And these cherubims were looking at each other and looking down upon the lid of that chest so much as to say, well, here is a golden lid and this priest comes in and sprinkles blood on top of this lid. What meaneth all this? Now, of course, these gold cherubims could not ask any questions, but the angels in heaven were curious about what was going on. You see, they were symbols of those angelic beings, the cherubim or seraphim of heaven. And uh, if you'll... Uh, if you remember what was in this ark, we'll read on down, we'll find what was in it was Aaron's rod that budded and a golden pot of manna and what? The two tables of the law, right? So indicating what? That within this ark, there was the manna that had sustained the children of Israel for 40 years as the symbol of it, the golden pot of manna. And then we had Aaron's rod that budded and you remember Aaron's rod was greater. It had life uh, budded and uh, in relation to those dead uh, rods of the Egyptians that had no life. And then we find that there was the two tables of the law in this ark. And within that ark, the two tables of the law simply meant that uh, God had a place for them to be kept. It says, there you'll keep these two tables of the covenant. And this ark speaks of Christ. This ark of the covenant speaks of Christ. And it indicates to you and I that the only place that God's holy law can be kept is in Christ. If the ark symbolizes Christ, then where is the law kept? In Christ. He's the one that perfectly kept the law. You and I have not kept it. But He's kept it for us and therefore we can... Uh, say that we have kept the law because he's our substitute and our sin bearer. All right, let's go on and read this and we'll make some comments as we go along. Verse 12, Thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it and put them in the four corners thereof 
We're in Exodus chapter 25, verse 12. And here's some more of these little charts. If John, you want to give each one of them one of these and then bring the rest of them back. And that this will help us as we look at the lesson tonight. Thank you. Uh, in verse 13 it says, And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. These rods that went through the, the rings in the corner of this ark. Verse 12 said, Cast four rings of gold for it and put them in the four corners. So you see what you had was this oblong chest with four rings in the corners and staves going through them, all of it overlaid with gold. And indicating, by the way, I want you to notice verse 15, it says, The staves shall not uh, shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. That's important. They shall not be taken from it, indicating that the only way God wanted this ark transported was with these staves. And you remember what happened when it was transported otherwise. And upon a cart, and used to put forth his hand to, to uh, kind of stay the cart, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant as it was about to fall off the cart, and God smote him because he took, put his hand to it. And you know why? Because David says we sought it not after due order. We were not transporting it in the way that God told us to do it. We were following the plan of the Philistines, and God said you're supposed to carry it. And He had a priestly, He had one of the family, one of the family, the tribe of Levi, a certain family, to carry those things that were to be transported by hand. And the table of showbread also has the same kind of arrangement. So you see, God is very specific about what He wants done, how He wants it transported. You know, there are three arcs in Scripture. By the way, before we leave this. Three arcs in the Scripture. One is the Ark of Noah. Let me give you this. Three arcs in Scripture. The Ark of Noah, and it sheltered from God's wrath. Remember? God's wrath was poured out upon the world in Noah's day, and it sheltered from God's wrath. Then there was the Ark of Bulrushes, where baby Moses was sheltered from Satan's assaults. And then there's the Ark of the Covenant, where we're sheltered from the condemnation of the law. So in Christ, all of these arcs are typical of Christ. So in Christ, we're sheltered from what? From God's wrath. In Christ, we're sheltered from Satan's assaults. In Christ, we're sheltered from the condemnation of the law. All three of these truths are, are prominent in Scripture that we are sheltered from all of these things that would harm us. What else can harm you? God's wrath and Satan's assault and the condemnation of the law. From those three things that would be most harmful and detrimental to us, God has said, I've made a provision for you in Christ. Where you'll not be, uh, you don't need to be afraid of God's wrath because He's delivered you from the wrath to come, right? You don't need to be afraid of Satan's assault because He's given you a way to overcome. He has overcome the devil for you and given you a way to overcome. And then you don't need to be afraid of the condemnation of the law, for he, he met the curse and judgment of the law and redeemed us from the curse of the law, being, being made a curse for us. Isn't that a marvelous thing? All right, back in Exodus 25, uh, let's read on down, beginning with verse uh, 16. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. That's the two, two tables of stone, the Ten Commandments. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Now, this is the lid. This, the lid for this oblong box or chest is the mercy seat. 
Uh, two cubits and a half shall be the length of it. If you'll notice, it's exactly the same size and dimension as the ark, only you don't have the height. You just have the length and the, and the breadth of it. And a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Because naturally, you would make a lid for a box the same size as it is wide and long, wouldn't you? And this is made of pure gold. And then notice what happens. It says, uh, And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, here you are, of beaten work, thou shalt make them in the two ends of the mercy seat, and, and make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end, even the, of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims of, uh, on the two ends thereof, and the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces, look, like this, shall look, their faces will look toward each other, Look one to another, and what? Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. So they look inward and downward. Now get this picture. It's very important. They look inward to each other and downward to the top of that chest. Remember Sunday we preached on which things the angels desire to look into? The, the curiosity of the heavenly beings. These cherubims represent heavenly beings or angels. Remember, there are cherubims and seraphims, and there's angels. And they looked inward and downward. No doubt they wondered what all this blood, a pure, can you imagine a lid of pure gold and had to be sprinkled with blood on the Day of Atonement once a year? And the high priest could come in, but not without blood, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he sprinkled that upon the mercy seat to make atonement for the sins of the children of Israel. First he came in to do for his own sins, and then he came in for the sins of the people. At least twice on the day of atonement, once a year he entered in the holy place behind the veil where this... If you look See where the Ark of the Covenant is in your picture? It's the very last piece of furniture, the very end of your picture there. The Ark of the Covenant. And to enter into that presence, the high priest had to come in with blood and sanctify himself or set apart himself to God and, and remove his own sins by blood atonement. And that blood was taken out here from this brazen altar. See on the picture, the brazen altar, where the sacrifice was slain, the sin offering was slain on that brazen altar. And so he couldn't enter in. Look at all the restrictions in the Old Testament, and yet this same thing is true for you and I today that we have to enter into the holy place in its figures of, of a heavenly picture. Hebrews 9 tells us it's a, it's a heavenly scene. It's figures of heaven itself. But how can we enter? Not without blood, not without the blood of Christ. They're figures of the true, aren't they? But now we go in through the veil that was once separating... All the children of Israel, only the high priest could go in. And when, the, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent in the midst from the top to the bottom. And that place, that holy of holies, was exposed and made available to every believing sinner who was sanctified uh, by the blood of Christ and who had redemption through the blood. And he can come right into God's presence without any restrictions like in the Old Testament. By the way, let me say something here. Did you know, let me listen very carefully, it's impossible for you to understand the book of Hebrews without knowing what we're talking about as far as this tabernacle is concerned. 
without studying the tabernacle. It's impossible for you to understand the book of Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews 9. Let me give you something. I, I just want you to be convinced of this before we start. And we're just in a portion of it. This is just one thing in the book of Hebrews that shows that we would be in the dark. Hebrews 9. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Now suppose you just read this in the book of Hebrews and says, what's he talking about? What's the first covenant and what's the worldly sanctuary? It's that tabernacle that we've been talking about. And he said, for there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. You say, what's this all about? You mean there was a table and it's, uh, it's called showbread or showbread, the bread of the face? And there was a candlestick? What kind of candlestick is that? You go back in Exodus where we're studying, you'll find there's a seven-branch candlestick. And it's made of gold and etc. And we have the details. Now look in verse 3. And after the second veil. What about the first veil? See you're studying Hebrews now. And after the second veil. The tabernacle, tabernacle which is called the holiest of all. That means that this tabernacle was divided into two parts. Right? Look. Which had the golden censer. And the ark of the covenant. Overlaid round about with gold. Wherein was the golden pot that had manna. And Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood. Look at that. Not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, now look. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was not yet standing, was yet standing. So the Holy Spirit was signifying, but what we're studying in Exodus, that God's that the way into God's holy place or into the very presence of God was not manifest yet, because the first tabernacle was yet standing. So then these were figures. Now look, the next verse, which was a figure. For the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. And just on and on and on. And this whole chapter has to do with it. Uh, drop down to verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Now verse 23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these... Uh, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. You see what he's talking about? <coughs> Verse 24 now. For Christ is not entered into holy places made with hands, like Moses and Aaron and those, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. See? So these are figures of Christ in the presence of God in heaven. Just as... Uh, we were talking about this Ark of the Covenant where the priest came in. It was a picture of, of him coming in into the presence of God. Uh, let's read back in Exodus 25 quickly now. Verse 22. We read uh, uh, verse 21, I think. Well, let's read verse 21. Thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the Ark, and in the Ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. That's the tables of the law. And there, now look, verse 22. And there will I, I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee, 
from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Look at that. He says, this is where my presence is going to be. This is where I'm going to meet. This is where I'm going to, to give you directions. And I will meet with you in that particular place. He told Moses. So we have the Ark of the Covenant that's spoken of. And certainly we've given you detailed studies of it before. And we'll not do that. Verse 23 now. Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit uh, the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Look, you have the two elements again. The wood and the gold, right? The wood speaks of Christ's humanity, and the gold speaks of His uh, deity. If you want a reference to the importance of the study of the tabernacle, in we've given you this before, in Psalm 29, verse 9, it says that in the temple everyone speaks of His glory, and the marginal reference says every whit uttereth His glory. In other words, everything about the tabernacle speaks of Christ's glory. And the importance of it is that there's 13 chapters of Exodus, 13 of Numbers, uh, 18 chapters of Leviticus, 2 chapters of Deuteronomy, 4 chapters in Hebrew, showing us the importance of the study of the tabernacle. And God honored the type by rending the veil when Christ died. You see? The, the tabernacle was important. It typifies Christ in Hebrews 10.20. We just read that, didn't we? Well, we, hit, we read Hebrews 9, but also 10.20 typifies Christ. It's impossible, as we said, to understand Hebrews without studying it. Have you ever heard people say, I study the New Testament, and I know all about the New Testament, but I don't study the Old Testament. Well then, friend, let me just give you another line. You don't study the New Testament. Did you know that? You don't really study the New Testament. If you say, I study the New Testament... And you don't study the Old Testament, you don't really study the New Testament. You're, you're basing that statement on a false premise. Because the Bible says in uh, Romans chapter 15 verse 4, For whatsoever things, now listen carefully, were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, and that's all the Scriptures there were at that time, might have hope. So you see, Romans 15.4 says you've got to study the Old Testament that you might have hope. That's through patience and comfort of the Scriptures. Now then, I know that as New Testament Christians, we put more emphasis on the New Testament because we're under a new covenant. But to thoroughly understand the meaning of that new covenant and how far superior and better it is than the old, you must study your Bible. That is from Genesis 1.1 to Revelation 22.21. Study all of the Word of God, and then you'll begin to understand it. All right? Let's see. We're in uh, Exodus 25, verse 23 and 24. You overlay this table uh, with gold. Now look in verse 25. And thou shalt take, uh, make rather, unto it a border of an handbreadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. You have a crown of gold in verse 24 and a golden crown and you have a border. So you have two crowns and a border like the, uh, we talk like the finished work around a piece of furniture. And it was double so that it was impossible for this bread to fall off. 
It was, it was to protect the bread from falling off. And that speaks of security. God wanted this very sure that he had a border and he had this crown of gold round about and then he had underneath that another crown. So it was a ledge. It was a, something around to keep and protect anything from falling off. As well as for decoration to show the beauty of it. We not only see in Christ security, but we see beauty. In verse uh, 26, And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold. Put the rings uh, in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear, look at this, to bear the table. This was also to be carried. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and the spoons thereof, and the covers thereof, and the bowls thereof, to cover with all of pure gold shalt thou make them. And thou shalt set upon the table showbread. Showbread means a bread of the face. It's uh, to represent before me always. It represented, you know, uh, Christ is the bread of life. This bread had to go through a process of preparation before it was placed on the table. There had to be wheat. It had to be ground into fine flour. It had to be molded into a loaf. It had to pass through the fire, a heated oven. This speaks of Christ and his uh, preparation and his sufferings and uh, put on the table, in other words, made available for the bread of life. You know, Jesus didn't just come down from heaven and say, now here I am and I'm the bread of life. He was, if you read the whole of the sixth chapter of John, you said, oh yes, it says he came down from heaven. He says, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. That's right. But that's not all the story. He says, whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And he says, my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is uh, my my flesh and my blood. My flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he says, My flesh and blood I give for the life of the world. So he would shed his blood, and he would lay down his life. So it was not him just coming down, it was him coming down and doing all that he uh, said he would do. Had Jesus just come down from heaven... And born of, the, uh, of Mary, a virgin, and said, Here I am, a beautiful, I'm a man now. I'm a, I'm a sinless man. And now, you eat of this bread. I'm the bread of life. But he says the, the reason he's the bread of life, he says, I'm going to give it for the life of the world. It's going to have to be sacrificed in order to actually be spiritual food. Did you see on the news where... A bunch gathered back in Missouri to see Mary appear yesterday, midnight last night. Oh, yes, she's supposed to come. And they got some overlay pictures. And most of them said they didn't see anything. They came from near and far to see Mary. She was going to appear personally. One young lady says, yeah, I saw Mary and I saw Jesus standing beside her. And I saw, uh, I forget what all, she had the whole, whole business there. Because some, some mystic had told them that that's what was going to be. And you know, did you know 
that you can imagine that you can see something so strong that you'll almost see an illusion of a vision of it? You put in your mind. Just close your eyes sometime and just say, Oh, I'm going to see my mother. Or I'm going to see my children. I'm going to see my daughter. I'm going to see my son. And you just, you, you know what they look like as far as any image that you have in your mind. Maybe a picture or whatever. Or how you remember them. Whatever. And you can think that so long and so strong that you almost think you see that. Well, you really don't. But in your uh, mind's eye, you do. And your imagination, you know, imagination is imagery. Isn't it? You make an image in your mind. That's what imagination is. And see, these people were called because this psychic said that Mary was going to appear at this certain place and the parish the priest said so too he agreed with it that that was the way it's going to be and people came from everywhere can you imagine that well that's what they had to do is imagine it but anyway where were we talking about what golden candlestick showbread table of showbread I hadn't got to a candlestick yet have I okay the table of showbread. So, uh, Jesus is that bread. And by the way, there were twelve loaves of bread put on this table of showbread. And these twelve were representative of the twelve tribes of Israel. So, it was showing that, that the Lord had bread and was the bread for all His people representatively. Now, you know, twelve loaves wouldn't feed a million and a half people. But twelve loaves would loaves would represent the twelve tribes which would total up to be all the people. And so Jesus is that bread of life for every believer. And he is that we are partakers of that one bread of Jesus Christ. And then the Lord's Supper is a memorial of it. By the way, this bunch of uh, stuff I told you I got in the mail that was false teachings also didn't believe in taking the Lord's Supper because it, you were supposed to eat the Word. It was the Word that you feasted upon in a spiritual way. It wasn't anything to do with the elements of, of remembrance that we take as far as the, the uh, two elements to show forth Christ's uh, death till He comes again. And they didn't believe in that either. But let, uh, you know, I gave you that warning. If you find any bunch of information that comes to you and I hope you take what I'm saying now with all seriousness that has false teaching in it you better throw the whole mess of it away because it'll get you so mixed up you won't know what to do well I'd rather use the King James Version but there's some not really because it's more of a commentary it's not the inspired word. The Living Bible is more, more phrases of what, instead of the verbal inspiration, it's more phrases. But I think there's, you know, it's just like a, a commentary uh, on the Bible. And some of it's good and some's bad. I just uh, take it with a grain of salt. And where you find some good thoughts, we'll take the good thoughts. And where you find something that's not uh, true to Scripture, well, don't, don't use that. But anyway, I'd prefer to just stick with the King James Version. And the thing about the King James Version of the Bible, you have to study it. And most people are so lazy, they don't want to study. They just want it, you know, they want to be spoon-fed Christians. If you'll, 
you know, mash it up for me and run it through a blender and put it in my mouth. I'll swallow it, you know. And that's about the way most people are as far as studying God's Word. God's Word is rich if you'll not ruin it by trying to, to dilute it. So take it as it is, because it's important that God uh, said that His Word is verbally inspired. All right, let's go on to this. Verse 26 now says, And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. By the way, notice here, you didn't have wood and then overlaid with gold. The light of the world is Jesus, isn't it? A candlestick of pure gold, of beaten works, shall thou the candlestick be made. You're in verse 31. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knobs, this is the way it was designed, and you have pictures of it. You can see a little picture or a little a kind of a symbol of it there in the drawing that I gave you. A stand with a central branch and three branches on each side. Look at it there in the picture. And that this is describing how uh, it was really fixed. And it says six branches in verse 32 come out of the sides of it. Three branches of the candlestick out of one side and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knop and a flower. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick and in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under the two branches of the same, and a knop under the two branches of the same, and a knop under the two branches of, of the same. That is the main stalk. According to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick, their knops and their branches shall be of the same, and it shall be... Now look, here's important. All it, it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. You see, there were not any, there's not any wood here. It's all fashioned out of one a piece of gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof, shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. And look, now look, and look that thou make them after their pattern which was showed thee in the mount. God said to Moses, be very specific about how you make this. The, this seven-branched candlestick was to be the only light in the tabernacle. It was all the light there was. And it was God's light that was given there to, for the priests to come in and do their daily uh, ministry in the tabernacle. We used it one day to show you that over here is a light. See, here's a light over this piano. And over here, we use this for a communion table. And really, though they were along the sides, further down in the main building, it would be on the same side. So if you want to figure that you were coming in the door under the veil there, and on the left-hand side, you would see what? The light. On the right-hand side, you'd see the table. Kind of like the church is arranged here. I'm just showing you this so you can keep it in your mind. So when the priest came in to the entrance of that tabernacle, the first thing that he saw was uh, the light as it shone upon all the gold and all of the beautiful white linens on the inside. And he saw the beauty of that inside of that tabernacle. And also, uh, the, he, he came in to replace, ever so often, these loaves of bread as they became uh, needed to be replaced. And... Uh, 
So it was the representative bread and the light shined upon it. And it's typical of Christ being the divine light. God provided Christ as the light of the world. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so this true light came down from heaven. In chapter 26, Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen. Let me, before I read verses 1 through 14, 1 through 14, you have the four coverings. You see this tabernacle picture? You have four layers of cloth or coverings. They're not all cloth. There's one fine linen, the next goat's hair, the next ram skin dyed red, and the next badger skins. Remember we've taught these? The, the, the first covering that you see inside was what we're studying here. It was fine, fine linen. It came down over the sides and it came up over the top and down over the other side. And then you had over that one another layer of goat's hair. And then over that one, another layer of ram skins dyed red. And over that one, another layer of badger skins was the outer covering. And let me read it and then I'll make you a few comments. Let's read verses 1 through 14. Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen, and blue and purple and scarlet with the cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. This is the first covering. Now notice it was a blue and purple and scarlet, fine twine linen, with cherubims of cunning work, embroidered work, shalt thou make them. This is what you saw inside the tabernacle. The length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits, the breadth of one curtain four cubits, and every one of the curtains shall have one measure. <coughs> so of these ten, you had five of them coupled together, and then you had the other five coupled together in verse 3. In verse 4, thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of the one curtain from the selvage in the coupling, and likewise thou shalt make it in the uh, uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the second. Fifty loops shalt thou make in the one curtain, and fifty loops shalt thou make in the edge of the curtain that is in the coupling of the second, that the loops may be take, may take hold one of another. And thou shalt make fifty taches of gold, and couple the curtains together with the taches, and it shall be uh, one tabernacle. I don't know exactly how they were made, but it seems to me like, you know, the ladies have a dress, they have a hook and eye system, and they are coupled together. And... Uh, Anyway, that's what the purpose was. It was to couple these curtains together and join them together by these hooks and by these tasses of gold. And now verse 7, And thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair. Now remember in verse 1 you had fine twine linen. That's the first covering. And here you have a covering of goat's hair to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. Now you had ten curtains of the other. You have eleven curtains of, of the goat's hair in order that the, 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 there would be a, a covering hang over the front. Goat is typical of, and over the back. And goat in the Bible is the sin bearing. Uh, typical of the sin bearer. There was the uh, goat that was taken to bear the sins of the children of Israel. So that you couldn't enter in without knowing. You couldn't enter in the tabernacle without seeing that your sins had to be borne by another. You were reminded that in order to get into God's presence, there had to be a sin bearer. 
And then we'll go on and try to get this briefly as we can. It says in verse uh, uh, 8, The length of the one curtain shall be thirty cubits, the breadth of the one curtain four cubits, the eleven, and the eleven curtains shall be of one measure, and thou shalt couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves, and shall double the sixth curtain in the forefront, see this, the entrance, of the tabernacle. It was to double Double the sixth curtain in the forefront of the tabernacle. And thou shalt make fifty loops, and you have the same design of joining these together. And verse 12 says, by the way, verse 11 says, Thou shalt make fifty taches of brass. You see that in verse 11? You know why? No. Yeah, that is verse 11. My eyes, I'm getting adjusted to this. Uh, Fifty uh, taches of brass. You see, the brass tied the goat's hair coverings together, but the gold tied the white linen together. Now, what does that mean to you? The gold speaks of the righteousness of Christ, the deity of Christ, the inside. And the goat's hair covering speaks of the sin bearer, so therefore, he had to bear judgment, didn't he? And brass is typical of, of, of judgment. So in order for us to have the goat's hair covering, we had to tie those together with, with these uh, uh, taches of brass instead of gold. And that's very important.